You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. On our podcast, the goal is not just to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon and talk about what we're learning and what God is doing in us and in our community. The sermon you're about to listen to comes from our fall 2023 sermon series, The God Who Rescues. In this series, we're walking with the Israelites from Egypt to Mount Sinai, looking at how God redeems and forms a people for himself. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. As you're going, kids, I want to ask you the same question. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Okay, kids? If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Have you guys ever thought about that question? About what kind of a superpower you would have if you could choose one? Maybe super strength, the ability to move things with your mind, turn invisible. I want you to turn to someone right near you, and you've got 20 seconds to share with each other what you would choose as your superpower. Ready, set, go. Ten seconds. All right. If I could choose a superpower, it would be the ability to fly. The ability to fly. But I don't mean just like flap your wings like a hummingbird kind of fly, right? I want to be able to soar like an eagle or a hawk. I've always loved to watch hawks soar. Somewhere along the way, it became one of the ways that I connect with God. There's something about the way it lifts my eyes from the earth to the heavens. And at one point, I remember being on a hike and asking God, you know, having this conversation with God as I'm hiking, but asking God to show me a sign that he loved me. And as I'm going, as I go, there's this huge hawk that takes off from the top of a tree and begins to soar in the sky. And I knew that it was more than just a coincidence. And since then, whenever I see a hawk or an eagle, my heart just swells and I feel the love of God. And and that's happened on a number of occasions at just the right moment. In fact, there's a hawk that lives somewhere in the neighborhood here or it hangs out somewhere close by. And there are days where I'll be thinking about things or or praying through some issue that's going on and and my eye will look out my office window and I'll catch a glimpse of that hawk soaring around, circling, rising on the thermals and coasting on the, the, the currents. And I'm reminded that I'm not alone. And I'm reminded that I'm loved. And I'm reminded that there's a God who walks with us. As human beings, we have an incredible ability, one that's almost like a superpower, except that it's not unique to just a few of us. And like the movie, The Incredibles taught us, if everyone's super, nobody's really super, right? 
But we all have this innate ability within us that, that seems to come as naturally to us as walking or maybe even breathing. You see, humans have this incredible ability within us to make anything into an idol. Now, we tend to think of an idol as something that we set up to worship, right? We envision a, a temple or a shrine with some kind of carved image in it uh, that we would worship. But Merriam-Webster defines an idol as an object of de- extreme devotion, an object of extreme devotion. And, and that gets a little bit closer, I think. An idol is an object to which we give our devotion. But somehow that still stirs up in my mind, at least, the idea of a physical item, a physical item that we're bowing down to. But the reality is that the object of our extreme devotion doesn't have to be a physical object, right? It could be just about anything that we hold as having the highest value or the first priority in our lives. And I've found that those values and those priorities are often revealed less in the words that we say and more in the actions we choose, in how we choose to actually live our lives. So I like to think of an idol as anything that we turn to before we turn to God. Anything we turn to for comfort, for direction, for value, for meaning. Friends, that could be anything, even good things, right? It doesn't have to be something like fame or sex or money or power, something that we could automatically point to and say, eh, that's maybe not quite the right thing to be guiding us. But it could also be good things that we hold to have the highest value the first priority. It could be things like our jobs, things like our marriages, our kids' activities, our hobbies, the causes that we choose to support. It can be anything that we turn to for comfort, direction, value, or meaning before we turn to God. And so in the story that today's scripture reading comes from, it's that story of of when Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God, right? We, We talked last week that God was getting ready to enter into this covenant relationship with Israel. And so Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God and to receive as the mediator between God and the people the terms of that covenant which Israel and Yahweh are entering into. And he was up there for a while. Exodus 24, 18 tells us that Moses stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So this wasn't just a quick conversation that God was having with Moses. It took a while. And after a while, I think the people down on the ground, down in the camp, must have come to the conclusion that it was a pretty good thing that they hadn't been the ones who had gone up on the mountain to receive this covenant terms with God. 
because the fire that came down on the mountain when God's presence descended on that mountain must have consumed Moses. And I think they decided he wasn't coming back at all. So the Israelites did what I think we all do when it seems like God isn't showing up in the way that we expected God to show up or in the way we wanted God to show up. They decided to look to something else for comfort and guidance and value and meaning. They quite literally made an idol. They went to Aaron, who was Moses' brother, right? And they said, you know that Moses guy who brought us up out of Egypt? He's been gone a while, and we don't know if he's ever coming back. We don't know what's happened to him. Would you make us a God to follow? So Aaron takes the gold from the jewelry they were wearing and other things, and he, he melts it and shapes it and forms it into this image of a calf. And he says, this is the God who brought you up out of Egypt. And then almost as an afterthought, like, like he's realizing what's really happening here and he's not quite sure this is the best way for it to happen. He says, and tomorrow we're going to have a festival to Yahweh, right? The, the, the God that we are supposed to be worshiping. But in that festival, they bow down to that golden calf that Aaron made and they offer sacrifices to that golden calf and the whole thing turns into this huge party. Meanwhile, up on Mount Sinai, God and Moses are having this conversation and God begins to fill Moses in on what's happening down in the camp. And like we said this summer, when God starts talking about those people or your people, instead of talking about his own people, we know things aren't going well for the Israelites, right? And so God says to Moses, he says, your people, your people have turned away from me. They've made an idol and they've bowed down to it. They've offered sacrifices to it. They've rejected me. And they've said that this is the God who brought them out of Egypt. Then God gives Moses a test. A test that I think he's given to people all through history. God says, leave me alone so I can destroy these people. And then Moses, I'm gonna start over with you and I'll make you into a great nation like I promised to Abraham. And if I'm Moses, that's gotta be a pretty tempting offer, doesn't it? God will still keep his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it would be through him. He would not just be the leader of the people of Israel. He would become the father of their nation. Imagine the fame and the power and the honor that would go with that. It's got to be a pretty tempting offer. But scripture says, but Moses. But Moses won't have it. 
Rather than putting himself ahead of the people of Israel, he puts himself right in between the people and God. And Moses chooses to intercede on their behalf. He reminds God that these are God's people, not Moses' people. These are God's people who God delivered from Egypt. And he reminds God of the promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses is willing to stand in and remind God of God's own character. Imagine, God, God, this isn't who you've shown yourself to be to us. God, this isn't who you've revealed yourself to be. This isn't who we've seen you be. He reminds God of God's own character. And Moses passes the test. The test that all through the story of Scripture, God has been giving to people. He's been looking for someone who would be willing to stand in and mediate between God and the world. To intercede on the world's behalf. And so God made Adam and Eve and he placed them in the Garden of Eden to be his image to the world. And God told Noah to build the ark so that the human plan could be restarted through his family, right? Just like he was offering to Moses. And God called Abraham so that through him and his family, all the nations of the world could be blessed. And when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he invited Abraham to intercede on their behalf. Now God was testing Moses to see what kind of a role Moses was going to take for himself. Would he grasp to become the head of the family or would he stand in the gap to advocate for the people? And Moses passed the test. He stood in for the people, interceding on their behalf, seeking their forgiveness and reconciliation when he hadn't even been part of it. Pointing forward to that day when God himself was going to come in the person of Jesus to be that final mediator between God and the people. And God hears Moses' case for the people And he decides to relent from destroying them, from wiping them off the face of the earth. And the rest of chapter 32 tells the story about what happens next, about how Moses came down the mountain and shattered the tablets of stone that contained the terms of that covenant. It tells about Aaron's lame excuse that somehow the people had made him make the idol, that that they put the gold in the fire and the calf just jumped out. You guys ever seen gold? It doesn't do a lot of jumping. Chapter 32 tells about the punishment that followed the Israelites' rebellion. Because even though God didn't destroy the whole nation, their sin sin still had to be dealt with. And the sacrifices had not yet been initiated. So all of this got me thinking about what makes the difference between the Israelites and their willingness to turn to an idol and Moses and his choice to intercede on behalf of the people. 
reminding God of God's own nature and character. And I think we get the story, the answer to that story, hmm. I think we get the answer to that question if we read the story a little further in chapter 33. You see, at the beginning of chapter 33, God tells Moses that he's going to send the people up to the promised land. And he tells Moses to lead the people, that God would send an angel before them to drive out the people who lived there so that he could give the land he promised to Abraham to the Israelites. But God wasn't going to go with them. He wasn't going to go up to the promised land with them because they were stubborn and stiff-necked. And if he did go with them, he might end up destroying them on the way. And so Moses has the opportunity to intercede on behalf of the people again. And in Moses' contending for the people, we see Moses' heart in contrast with the hearts of the Israelites and their willingness make idols beginning in verse 12 we read these words Moses said to the Lord but God you've been telling me lead these people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me you've said I know you by name and you have found favor with me but God if you're pleased with me Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. You see, Moses understood that the exodus and all that God had been doing in redeeming and delivering Israel from the hands of the Egyptians wasn't just about getting the people of Israel into the promised land. It was about getting the people of Israel to God himself. And even if they got to the promised land, if they got there without God's presence, it meant nothing. It meant Nothing. See, Moses had learned that walking with God isn't about the blessings that we get from God. It's about getting God himself. And so I love that verse 15. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. And that's become one of my prayers in recent months. God, I don't want to move forward in any direction if that's not where you're moving. God, I don't want to go to that place if that's not where you're going. If you're staying here, God, I want to stay here. If you're moving there, then I want to move there too. Friends, God wants to occupy the place in our hearts and lives where he is the first and only one that we look to for comfort and guidance and value and meaning. Today, this morning, would you let him deal with any idols that you've erected in your own heart? God is looking for people like Moses who are willing to stand in the gap for others rather than getting ahead at other people's expense. 
Would you be someone who's willing to lay aside your sake, your rights, your benefits, your blessings for the sake of someone else? God's looking for people who will prioritize his presence above all else, who see God's presence in their lives as more important than even the blessings that God brings them. Friends, this morning, would you be willing to say with Moses, if your presence isn't with us, don't send us up from here. God, if your presence isn't with us, none of it matters. God wants to give us his very self, his presence. Everything else is just extra. But if we don't find his presence, if we don't prioritize his presence,